Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Last week, uh, we've been going through this study uh, for, for, for months now, a couple months, and we learned a valuable lesson, I think, and also an important reminder. If it wasn't a lesson, hopefully a reminder uh, that we're to be consistent peacemakers. We are, as the children of God, uh, to be peacemakers. And so that's to be consistent in our life. We saw that as the people of God, by faith in Christ, we have peace with God. And because of this peace with God, we can have the peace of God. And that was so important because I, I want to talk about that just a little bit in the introduction before we get into the second point in your notes there. Um, because this, our peace with God was won through the cross. I love that song that Brother Robert just sang. The victory. It was won through the cross, through the death of Jesus Christ, through the blood. That's how we have peace with God. The cross is our victory because of who and what was on that cross and what it meant. The atonement, the payment, the satisfaction, our sin debt was made through the sacrifice of the only Son of God. That, that day, that moment he died on the cross, every bit of the, the demand, the righteous demands of a holy God for sin was made through that death in Jesus Christ. And that's a phenomenal thought. It's mind-blowing to me because uh, this was done. The just for the unjust, right? The, the, the just, the only just one laid down for the unjust, just as Scripture says. Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says, while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. The perfect, spotless lamb was sacrificed for us. If we look at that scripture, and, and thousands of years ago, it, it was written that it was uh, while we were yet in our sins, Paul writing to the Romans, and, and, and you and I weren't even born, you know. We, we, I, mean, let alone, I mean, I don't even know how, uh, it, where our heritage was at that point in time, but there was no way... Uh, we were even in a thought in somebody's mind even. So how does that work? Because his payment for sin is once and for all. And I love that. It's once and for all. And I love the fact that that's the payment that was made on our behalf. This was done because God, again, as a holy, as a righteous, as a pure, as a, as a judge, a righteous judge demands and requires satisfaction, a full satisfaction for all sin. It had to be done in the only Son of God. And again, all that wrath, all that judgment, our wrath, our judgment for our sins was taken by Jesus Christ. And that's how our peace with God was, was given. That's how our peace was, with God was made possible. And so in this, having the peace with God and having the peace of God, we are to with as much as possible within us to make peace with all men. We've talked about this important truth because uh, in, our, in our study, we've seen that Jacob is heading back to his home and he is uh, looking forward to, uh, well, he's anticipating, not, I don't know if looking forward is the right word, he's anticipating his meeting with his older brother, who he's wronged several times now, and so now he's thinking, okay, this is what I've got to do. I've got to send this ambassador and offer these gifts as a truce, as a peace offering to my brother because I'm a little worried about how he feels about me still 20 years later. 20 years have gone by, 
after all of this wrongdoing, and Jacob is thinking, I don't know all the wrong I've done to him. I don't know if he's let it go. I don't know if he's forgiven me. I don't know if it's water under the bridge. I don't know if, if, if we can move forward in our relationship or not. And so he sends these gifts forward to his brother in efforts, in hopes that there would be this reception of, okay, we're going to let bygones be bygones. You've, you stole from me. You stole the blessing. You tricked me out of the birthright. Now what I'm going to do to you is I'm going to say it, it's over with because you've given me all of this stuff. And so again, uh, it's, it's important for us to learn the lessons that we need to be consistent peacemakers, not just when we're the troublemaker, but sometimes even when we're the trouble receiver. We need to be consistent peacemakers uh, at all times. And so this week we're going to see what happens next. We're about to see what happens when uh, the ambassador comes back and gives Jacob uh, word of what's going on and uh, hopefully learn this important next point. So let's pray and we'll look at it. Father, thank you for this time. Again, we thank you for what we've already experienced. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you through song. Thank you for the opportunity to even give back to you uh, tangibly a portion of, of what you've blessed us so greatly with. Lord, we live in a country where there's just an abundance of so many things. And so for us to be able to joyfully bring to you not only the, the fruit of our lips, but also uh, the things that you've blessed us with in this world, we're thankful. Well, God, it's, it's a joy to be able to give to you anything. And so we, we praise you for that. Thank you for our freedom that we can gather here today and that we can do those things and that we can hear your word and we can share your word and we can pray and, and we can go out of this place and we can share the good news, the light of the, the gospel uh, to those that are in darkness. And again, we're just, we're just grateful, God. We're coming to you with a heart of thanksgiving. And it's with that heart that we're asking that you would move now. Uh, we ask that you would do something great in this place. Lord, we know that we are nothing without you. And again, as we've seen already again this morning, that uh, we have peace with you because of what you've done for us. Everything's by your grace. Everything's by your mercy. The opportunity to talk to you now, a gift of grace. And Lord, we're thankful for that as well. We ask you just to use me as a vessel, again, so that your name and, and your name alone would be glorified. God, that you would be the one that we turn to. You're the one that we're, we're thinking about as we even leave this place today. Uh, your word, this message burning in our hearts, uh, your will, your kingdom uh, at the forefront of our minds. Lord, just do these things. God, we're desperate for you this morning, and I pray that you would move in a great way. If, if there's someone here, Lord, this morning that uh, is lost, they've never truly surrendered their life to you. Maybe they've, they've been in church. Maybe they've tried to be religious. Maybe they've even prayed prayers. Maybe they've had emotional experiences, but there's not been a time in their life where they truly have surrendered control of their life to you, putting all of their faith in what you've done for them. Lord, I pray that they would do that today. They would surrender control. They would trust you alone for salvation before they leave this place. Lord, we'll praise you for what you do. And again, we'll give you the glory for it all. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 32. And if you're not already there or you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen. I want to pick up reading at verse 6. It says, And the messengers, again, remember Jacob already sent them out there to his brother Esau, with these, this offering uh, of peace, and the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and he also cometh to meet thee, and 400 men with him. Right? That's an interesting thing, right? This is the message that they have bringing back to Jacob. We already saw that he's extended this peace offering, but Esau now, with this message coming back from these messengers, is seemingly ready for a fight. At least that's what was being portrayed. That's what was being received is, look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to send an olive branch out there. I'm going to extend this peace offering to my brother. 
and see how he receives it. And the message that comes back is, hey, uh, Esau's coming to meet you, but he's got 400 men with him. You know, uh, we told him what you, t you wanted us to tell him, but he's coming with 400 men. And I want to say this this morning, that's a good example of what can happen to us even when we seek to have or seek to make peace. Sometimes it blows up. And sometimes then, after we attempt to, to make peace or to, to have peace, the challenge then becomes, how do we respond to that? And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've tried to make something right with somebody and then it blows up in your face. I've been in circumstances like that before. I, we've been in circumstances like that before. I remember early on, Rochelle and my relationship, there was a circumstance like that that happened in our family. You try to make peace and it blows up in your face. How do you respond to that? How, how do you deal with that? Well, I tried to do my part. I did what I was supposed to do. Not only that, but sometimes we make assumptions, which is wrong. It's the wrong thing to do. We respond often with those assumptions, which also is wrong to do. And this happens even in our marriages, right? We, 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 try, to, we try to do something, try to make peace. We try to, to make up and, and do those things, and things don't, aren't done the way that we expect them to do, or we assume certain things because certain things aren't said or done. And then we, we react or then we act in those assumptions versus making sure that the, the, that the relationship, the peace is had, the, 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 the peace is restored there in the relationship. But how does Jacob respond? How, what is his response to this message coming back that your brother's coming to meet you too, but he's got an army with him. He's got a whole bunch of men with him. Now, look at, back at that verse again and notice in there, there's nowhere in there that they told him that Esau was looking to wipe him out. They didn't even say that, that Esau's coming and he's looking to destroy you with his 400 men. There was nothing said about that. So why, what we're about to see, it, 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 this is so important, is, again, based off his own assumption, and I would say this, based off of his own wrongdoing, that's what he takes from it. That's what Jacob takes from this message of, your brother's coming, and he's got 400 men with him. If, if he was in the right, and if he uh, wasn't assuming anything, and if he had done everything that he was supposed to do, maybe that, that word would be joy to Jacob's ears. Praise God! He's coming out to meet me. He's, he's bringing all of his people as I'm bringing all of my people. It's going to be a great family reunion. But again, look in verse 7 and see how this is received. Verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So obviously, evidently, Jacob didn't receive it like it was a, a, going to be a joyful family reunion. He took it just as one might assume that he would take it. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels in two bands. He started doing what he could do. He started looking out for himself. And he said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. So if, we, if he's really coming to destroy us, then it, that at least he'll only get a small portion of all the things that I've earned and gained myself. At least he'll only get a small portion of what's dear to me and my family. The apparent threat caused him to react like this. He was acting in fear, and he immediately did what he knew to do. And that, that's, that's an important point, because there's, there's something good about this, and there's also something bad about this. 
in this moment, he does what he knows to do, and that's what he does immediately. The, good, the, the, the first thing I want to point out is this, that we are absolutely responsible to do what we have been entrusted to do from God. So there are absolutely things that we are to do in this life and in circumstances. He's given us a brain. He's given us a body. He takes us through experiences. He takes us through mountaintops and valleys. And so there's absolutely things that we can do whenever we face circumstances that are threatening or circumstances that are fear-striking or, or, or something like that. But the second important thing about this is the bad part of it. Because what we see is we see something that needs to be reversed. The first thing Jacob does is he does what he knows to do. He panics. He says, okay, I'm going to utilize some, 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 some man's wisdom. I'm going to utilize my own wisdom, and I'm going to split up everything so that way I only at least lose half. The second, again, is, is, is the bad because this whole circumstance should be reversed. Jacob should have relied on his spiritual resources first. What had God done in his life? So what, what has God done so far in his life? He's given him grace. He's, he's blessed him more than he deserved. He, he has preserved him. He has protected him. He's done all these things in Jacob's life. Again, all by God's grace. We've talked about that through this study. So the very first thing whenever Jacob gets fear struck in his heart, the very first thing whenever he starts to get worried about his life, about his stuff, about his family, the very first thing Jacob should have done was turned to his spiritual resources and then responded with what God had given him. But reliance on God wholly the whole time. So that's what we see next. The first thing he does is what he knows to do. I'm going to do this. But look at the next, next verse in verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which saith unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast shown, uh, showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and I am, and now I am become two bands. Verse 11. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, and from the hand of Esau, and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, and the mother with children, with the children. And thou sayest, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So a prayer, a prayer of desperation, right? So he gets this word back. He doesn't, he doesn't have any other base to go off of other than I've wronged my brother, I've sent, the, I've sent this peace treaty out there, and, and, and all the information I have is that he's coming with 400 men. The first reaction that he has in this desperate moment, this first reaction that he has in this life-threatening moment, this first reaction that he has in, in, in this, well, all of my resources, all of my family, all of it being on the line, seemingly threatened, his first reaction is, I'm going to do what I know to do. I'm going to take care of me and mine. His first, his first reaction wasn't, God, you are the God of all creation. God, you are the God of all grace. Your mercies, your truth, you are everything. And so I'm turning to you and I'm trusting you. Help me not operate in fear. Help me not operate in my own wisdom. God, help me operate in your wisdom. 
Help me do what's right in your sight, regardless of the consequences. That's a hard thing to do. Right? Because when somebody, when fear strikes our heart, we have that, that, that God-given uh, design in our bodies of either fight or flight, right? That's, that's what happens. We, we have this response that ends up happening in our lives. And sometimes when we're in that situation, we respond how we know to respond, and we spat off at the mouth. Sometimes we know how to, uh, uh, to respond, and, and, and we operate in fear, and we run, or, or, or we fight, or whatever the case may be. But again, we see here, his second choice, the second thing that he does, was to turn to the spiritual resources. Was to turn to God and say, God, deliver me. Help me. You've been gracious to me. I'm so undeserving and I need you now more than ever. Jacob, at this point in his life, with this circumstance, get this. He finally calls on God's help when he becomes this desperate. Finally. Finally, he says, all right, God, I need, your, I need you to bail me out of this. Now it's really bad. Now it's out of, out of what I can control. What's Jacob looking for? I would say Jacob's looking for a bailout. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a bailout. He wants God to be that phone-a-friend. That's going to help him in this moment that he doesn't have the answer. I don't really know what to do. I, my best, uh, my, my best uh, guess or my best wisdom is potentially going to leave me with half of everything I have. That's my best offer. But God, if you can deliver me, that would be great. He wants God to get him off the hook. Again, now, when he's desperate to preserve his life, this is my life. This is, this is my family. This is my stuff. That's the mistake that we still make today. Jacob had been blessed by God. If it, again, wasn't for God's grace, if it wasn't for God's mercy, if it wasn't for the hand of God over him, in all of his sin, and all of his mistakes, and all of his foolishness, and all of his trickery, and all of these things, if it wasn't for the grace and the love and the mercy of God, Jacob would be dead. Jacob would have nothing. And just as we've seen the similarities along the way with Jacob, that's every single one of us in this place as well. If it wasn't for the mercy, the grace, I don't care how good you think you are, I don't care how good I think I am, we all are not good in ourselves. There is none good, no, not one. It's only the grace of God. It's only the righteousness of God that we have anything good. And so Jacob, his, his, his efforts here were to preserve his life, his stuff. Remember what he said back there in verse 11? Deliver me, I pray thee. He was fearing. He was fearing for what he had, his stuff. And so in this fear, he is now desperate for God. At this stage, at this place, in this circumstance, he finally gets to a place where he says, God, I'm humbling myself before you, and I need you. I'm desperate for you. And that's the point. That's the point. See, Jacob should have been working from that place initially. All along. 
He should have been at that place of humility. He should have been at that place of humbleness. He should have been at that place of God. I have nothing without you. Your mercies, your truth, your grace, I have nothing without you. And I am nothing without you. That's where he should have been initially. Not just because of the threat to the things that were dear to him, his life, his family, his stuff. Not just because of that, but initially, just realizing on a day-to-day basis, he had nothing without God. This reminds us of this important truth, which is point number two. We need to live in constant desperation for God. We need to live in constant desperation for God. Listen, and I want to encourage you to write this down. I, I sent it to them because I feel like it, it, the Lord impressed me to, to, for, for us to see this and for it to be vivid and vivid illustration in our minds. We need to have a lion's den desperation before we're actually in the lion's den like Daniel did. You get that? Daniel was desperate for God before he was in the lion's den. He was, he was praying at the risk of his own life, at the risk of his own freedom. He continued to be desperate for God, crying out to God three times a day, just as it was his custom. He was desperate for God. He lived in desperation for God. He trusted God, regardless of if, if he was in his homeland or if he was a, a Babylonian co- captive. He was desperate for God, and again, it brought him to a place, not of great esteem at first, I mean, it, it, eventually, but he was there in the lion's den. That's what he got for his desperation. But we need to live like that as well. We need to live in constant desperation. We need to have a fiery furnace desperation before we're actually in the fiery furnace, like Daniel's friends did. The same thing. We will not bow. We are not, I don't care what you do, king. There's nothing that's going to make us bow before you because we serve the one true God. They had, they lived in absolute confidence and trust and desperate living for God in the midst of a complete perverse nation. In, 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 in the midst of a, a nation uh, surrounded by, by false God worship and idol worship, which similar, it sounds real similar to what we have here even in America. I preached years ago about how God allows us to go through things, oftentimes to show us our need for him. Not always just our need for him overall, sometimes our need for him in certain areas. Maybe God allows us to go through certain things to show us that we need to trust God in a certain specific area. We need to be desperate for God in in, in a certain area. And I believe he lovingly shows us through trials and through tests, among other lessons that he, 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 he carries out, that the desperation we express for him to rescue us. The desperation that we express in those trials and in those tests to relieve us of the pain, of the struggle, of the fear, of the worry, to relieve us. The the desperation we have for him to save us from this hurt, to save us from all these things. That desperation is the same desperation that we should live in every single day. I believe that's one of the lessons, again, among many, that God teaches us when we go through those trials. That's what was happening with Jacob, right? He'd come, to the, he'd come, this might be the end. I'm going to split everything up in half, 
because I'm a lo- somebody's going to die today. That's what his thought was. I'm, I'm, I'm losing half of everything. That's my, that was his assumption. That was his expectation. And in that, now he calls on God. Now he's desperate for God. Now he's acknowledging God's mercies. Now he's acknowledging God's hand and bless, of blessing. At this point, when everything's on the line, now he is. I believe if we got up every single morning and we meditated on the fact that we can't even take a step, we can't even breathe a breath, and not only that, but that we don't want to without God's presence, without God's power, without God's leading in our lives. I believe if we did that, we could tap into that constant desperation. This morning, chances are, even on a day that we have set aside to worship our God, the one true God, chances are we got up and many other thoughts filled our minds. Many other worries, many other distractions, things of of even later today or this afternoon or things that we had to get done before we had to get to church. Chances are there were many other things but not these thoughts that God I can't even take a step out of this bed. God, I I can't even go about this day. I can't even consider worshiping you without your help today, without your grace today. God, I, I need your power. I need your presence. I need your leading in my life today. I'm about to enter into the congregation of the saints. I'm about to enter into this body that you've put me in. And, and we're about to exalt you. And we're about to focus on you. We're about to set everything else aside in our lives. We're about to come together and, and focus on you and your word and the message that you have for us today. And God, I can't even do any of that without your help. Because I'm a frail man. I'm a frail woman. And my mind is prone to wonder. My, 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 my affections are, 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 are prone to be stolen for things of this world. And I need you today, God. If we could live every day with that type of desperation, then I think we start tapping into the kind of power that's available through that. See, we're to be living in this constant desperation. And I want you to note It's a constant desperation, not just for him to fix something, but a constant desperation for him, period. God brings us through these things, and it's not just, oh, I learned that lesson. Next time I get in something really difficult, I need to get this desperate or even more desperate so God fixes that problem too. That's not it. God doesn't want us to live in constant desperation just so we know that he, he can fix stuff. God doesn't want us to live in constant desperation so that every time we do struggle that, he, that we call on him to fix something. God, that's not what God's interested in. He's a good father and he loves doing that just like we as parents do, but even so much more as a perfect and, 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 and an agape loving father. But that's not what God's interested in. He died. He, he shed his blood. The victory was won for us to have a relationship, an intimacy, a closeness that we would be brought back to God. That's what he wants us to be desperate for. He so loved the world, the Bible says, that he gave. That's how desperate he was for us to have a relationship with him, that he gave his only begotten son to have this opportunity 
for us to have this relationship again. And, and what do we do with that? Do we do much like Jacob does? Man, I've got all this stuff. I've got all this family. I've got all this activity. I've got all these things that's going on in my life. And then when problems come up, okay, God, I need you now. Now my, now my relationship with you is important. Now you being my God is important. God, now fix this. Not an everyday God. Thank you for shedding your blood every day. God, thank you for your grace every day. This is a gift. God, every day, thank you for allowing me to be your servant. God, these lips are unworthy. This body is unworthy every day. God, thank you for allowing me to have this treasure of the gospel in this earthen treasure, in this earthen vessel, and to be an ambassador. Not every day. It's not like that. It's when things get really bad. It's when our health goes south. It's when our finances get on the line. It's when, when, when we don't know what's going to you know, happen tomorrow. When things get really bad, then it's when we say, God, I'm hitting the altar. God, I'm praying. God, okay, God, I, I'm sorry I'm not reading your word. God, I'll, I'll tell what am I doing wrong in my life. We get desperate when we want God to fix something wrong. And every time, he's, he's just trying to, one of the lessons he's just trying to show us is, child, I want you like this every day. I want to pour into your life. I want to speak into your life. I want, I want to bless you and love you, and I want to, I want to guide you. I, I want to have this type of close relationship, and I want you to desire me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's what the, that's what the law is about, is to love God that way, to desire him, to be desperate for him like that every day. Not just when we, we might lose our job. Not just when everything else is, everything's breaking in the house and falling apart and we don't know how we're going to pay for it. And not just when all the medical bills and all the, the sicknesses and the doctor's reports are saying, not just then, but on the good days as well. On the days when everything seems to be great. He wants us to get up and say, God, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. God brings us to and he brings us through things so that I believe also we would become humble and we'd be people of humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God allows the trials and the tests often to show us our need for him so that we don't get much like Jacob did. All of these things, much like Laban did. Look around you. Everything you see is mine. So we don't get on our hot horse thinking that, that everything we have is actually ours. God allows sometimes these trials so that we know that our lives should be completely relying upon Him. Sometimes we exalt people. Sometimes we exalt relationships. Sometimes we exalt jobs. Sometimes we exalt money. Sometimes we exalt stuff. And those are the things that we hold in highest esteem and regard. And those are the things that we would bow down to in a second. And God sometimes allows us to go through experiences, go through trials, go through circumstances to show us. I want you to rely on me because I know what's good for you. 
You, you think you know what's best. You think you know what's good. You, you seek after these things that, 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 yes, they are blessings that I've given to you. They are, they are things that are to be enjoyed. They are things to, 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 to have in this world, but they are not what you should be striving after. They are not what you should be living for. They are not what this life is about. And so sometimes he brings us and he shows us what humility really looks like, what humbleness looks like. Remember Peter walking on the water? Most of us know that. How Peter walked on water. Most of us know the backside of that as well. The truth is this. If Jesus hadn't shown up in Peter's moment, instant of desperation, he would have been swallowed up in the storm. I think teaching an important lesson of constant desperation. I want to look at that. I didn't give it to them because the Lord just impressed my heart this morning to do this because I want to look again at that, that story in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, if you have a Bible, you can flip over there in verse 22. If you can get up there real quick, Brother Jake. Matthew 22, verse 22. I'm going to read several verses there. That's not it. <laughs> Matthew 14, sorry. Verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, in the middle of the sea, tossed with waves because the wind was contrary. So we see in, the, in these disciples' lives who were following Jesus with everything they had. The Bible says they had left everything and followed him. They're in the middle of a storm. They're in the middle of a, a trial. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus, straightway Jesus, spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. I'm the Lord. I'm here. I'm with you in the middle of this storm. Don't be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. Isn't that an interesting thing? Jesus knew everything that was going to go on. He knew that Peter was going to do what he did and, and, and all these things. And Jesus still said, come. A similar, similar thought process is back in our, in our, in our study. If, if God knew that he wasn't going to allow Laban to do anything to Jacob... Why did he even, why did he even let uh, Laban continue on at all? Why didn't he just strike Laban down? Why did he have to stop Laban and say, don't say anything bad or good to Jacob? Why did he do that? Why did he even let him get to Jacob and them have that interaction that they had? Again, I, as I said before, a choice and also a lesson for us even today. And the same thing in this story. Why did Jesus, knowing that if Peter was going to sink, why did he still tell him, come on, 
Look what happens. He said, come. Peter was come down out of the ship. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. There have been, uh, it's so interesting because sometimes I've, I've turned on the, uh, I don't know if it's the history or some, some other uh, liberal scientific evolution, you know, trying to disprove the Bible uh, theorist out there saying that there are certain ways, maybe there was a sandbar or maybe, you know, maybe there was, uh, there, there was something there that he actually stepped on and it wasn't walking on, it's lies. He walked on the water. That's what happens. The God who, who created it can walk on it. He can, he can divide it. He can split it. He can, he can do whatever he wants to. He created it. And if he tells one of his people to walk on it too, then when we have absolute reliance on him, when we are absolutely confidently trusting him, the same thing can happen. So he walks on the water to go to Jesus. Again, having confidence. The things are miraculous. His life is good. Everything's wonderful. Everything is, is all the bills are paid. Uh, even, even things, chaos around him, everything seems to be good for Peter right now. But things changed. He saw the winds boisterous, and then fear struck his heart as well, beginning to sink. Look what, he ha look what happens in his moment where he's losing everything, losing his life. He took his eyes off Jesus. He took his confidence off of Christ. The storms, the trials, the circumstance began to captivate him, and it caused him to fear. It says that he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Again, he stopped focusing on Jesus. He, he, he didn't stay in that place of, of humble trusting. He wasn't relying just as he was when he took that first step out of the boat. And in that moment, in his moment of fear of loss, in that moment, that great trial, that great, I, I, I think I'm going to die. I think it's all over. I think my brother may come and destroy my life. In that moment, Peter too cries out in desperation. And look what happens in verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why did you doubt? Why didn't you continue to trust me? The storms have always been there. The trials are out there. The wind's going to blow. They're going to come at you. They're going to threaten you. It's going to be a part of this experience as you're walking and trusting me. Why didn't you remain desperate? The same desperation when you said, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Why didn't you stay in that desperation? And when they were come to the ship, the wind ceased, verse 33. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Matthew 23, the next not the next chapter, but a few chapters over, Matthew 23. Verse 12, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. In James chapter 4, it says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Unto God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God. Submit to God. Draw nigh to God. And he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. See, our life of desperation, a life of reliance, a life of absolute confidence and trust in Jesus Christ 
is a life of humility. It's a life of, uh, I can't even take a step. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I can't do a thing. I can't take a breath. But the truth is this. We become much like those toddlers, those brave toddlers, maybe some next door. But I know that we raised two of them, out of the toddler age at least. I think we become much like them when we say in our lives, I can do it myself right before the mess, right? Right before the mess. I can do it. I got it. I can handle it. I'm all right. Right before the fall, right before the hurt. And then much like those toddlers and much like Peter, we lift our arms and ask for his help and his healing. Again, I love that song. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I thought the number one would surely be me, the, the words say. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I also believe that God allows his children to go through things with opportunities for his power to be realized, for his glory to resound. And even for others to see examples through our lives. Our lives are to be instruments of righteousness according to Romans chapter 6. It says that we're supposed to yield ourselves. And in 2 Timothy it says that we are to be instruments. Our vessels of honor. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 20. But in a great house there's not only vessels of gold and silver but of wood and earth. And some to honor and some to dishonor. Look what verse 21 says. If a man therefore purge himself of these things, the earthen things, worldly things, sinful things. He shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use. And prepared unto every good work. Again, case in point. Can even be found in this study. This example that we have before us in Jacob this morning. Jacob going through this, his life thousands of years ago, is serving to be an example for us today. And again, in the same way, sometimes, but hopefully we learn from, from the, the examples and we're wiser than others before us. In the same way, sometimes God allows us to go through trials. Sometimes God allows us to go through storms so that he may show others an example. Like Daniel and the lions did like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the greatest example of all, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who, as Hebrews says, look to him who endured the cross. He endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. He, 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 the joy that was set before him, he, he, he faced all of this. And he went to the cross. Jacob going through this again teaches us today that our lives can be used of God as an example both in the good and also in the bad. Also the ugly. <laughs> so this morning, I, my desire is that we would not only be, as point one says in your notes, consistent peacemakers who live lives of peace who say, you know what, there's a lot of, uh, of division. There's a lot of, uh, of ugly. There's a lot of evil in the world today. And God has called me to be a child of light, bearing good fruit, to be light in this world, to be a peacemaker, to show that there is only one way to have peace in this world. It's not through stuff. 
It's not through prosperity. It's not through politics. It's not through anything else other than Jesus Christ that we can have peace. We're to be consistent peacemakers as the children of God. But we're also to be living in constant desperation, living a life that's a good example. So this morning, I want to ask you this. Do you have peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Because you've surrendered your life to Him. You've placed your absolute trust in, the, in Jesus Christ, His sacrifice, His resurrection. You've said, I'm no longer going to control my life. I'm going to turn it over to Jesus Christ because I believe He's the only way to the Father. Do you have that? You say, yes. Then are you living the life of a peacemaker? Are you living every day to try to have peace in your home? Are you living every day to try to have peace, to be a peacemaker, to, 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 to be the one that people look to and say, that guy, that lady right there has peace. They, have, they, they, they always have hope. They always point me to, to light. They always point me to truth. They always point me to God. That person right there is full of peace. How do they have it? Are you a peacemaker? I got sent an article I guess because I mentioned something last week. Are you a peacemaker even on social media? Thank you for the person who sent that to me. Very timely said, that's it. We have so many different forums today. We have, we have uh, internet. We have uh, person to person. We have uh, emails. We have all kinds of ways to say, you know what? We're going to make sure that people know what true peace is. And are you living in desperation? You say, right now, I am absolutely living in desperation. But that's my second question to that. Are you living in desperation by choice or because of circumstance? Are you living in desperation for God? But you're choosing because I don't want to live any other way. I want to live every day desperate for God. I can't walk. I can't talk. I can't move. I can't breathe. I have no life without you, God. I'm desperate for you today. Are you desperate for God right now in your life because things are bad? Because your life is being threatened. And I'm not necessarily like talking about it. Maybe it is literally. Is it by choice or circumstance? And what about this? Does your life, I mean, does your desperation have a time limit and that's the one that convicted me because I can look back and I can say there's times that that my desperation for God was seemed to be extended to me and then it seemed to kind of taper off a little bit maybe as things got more comfortable maybe as things got more calm or or whatever the case may be my desperation for God tapered off a little bit and that's the, that's the question I want to ask you, again, that convicted me. Does your desperation have a time limit? Do you only become desperate whenever you need a bailout as well? God, I really need you to fix my marriage. God, I'll start going to church. God, I'll start reading. God, I'll start uh, everything. We'll, we'll throw the, the, everything in the kitchen sink at God. I'll, I'll give, God. I'll, I'll, I'll witness. I'll do everything if you'll just fix this for me. And the sad thing is sometimes people, we've seen the testimonies and we've seen the examples before us that, that people use God like that, right? Everything's falling apart in their life and they become the most desperate, most committed Christian there is in the whole church. 
And God reaches down his hand. And he saves them from the drowning water. Puts their feet back on dry land. And they go back to do what they want to do. I pray that we learn that we need to remain desperate for the Lord. On the mountaintop, when we're in prosperity and health, and in the valley, in the storm, in sickness and in poverty. I pray the Lord challenges our heart with this this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this message again, the challenge that you've given to me. Lord, I, I don't want to live a day where I'm um, any less desperate for you. Lord, I want to live every day in constant desperation. Lord, you, you are our God, and without you, we can do nothing. We have nothing. You are everything good. You are everything that we need. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would move uh, in this invitation. Lord, do what you need to do. Do what you desire to do. And I pray that we would be yielded to you in this. And as we prayed earlier, Lord, we, we spoke about what you did to, to give us peace, what you, you, you did to offer us free salvation. And if there's somebody here today that has been trusting on their own to be saved, they've been trusting on their own good works, their own merits, they've been trusting on anything else other than Jesus Christ for salvation. I pray they'd come this morning and they would absolutely place their confidence in you once and for all. Receive that free gift of eternal life and know that when they leave this world, they're going to spend eternity with you. Lord, just move now in this invitation. Help us respond rightly, God. Help us to humble ourselves before you now. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.